listeners, and welcome to Silly Stories About Real Life. This time, the intro is being done by me, Maeve. My pronouns are she, her. And a fun fact about me is that I am at the beach, and I just planted two tomato plants. Actually, my mom planted them, but they're growing now, and I'm going to water them, and I'm happy about it. How dare you take credit for your mother's work? I know. She even found them on sale. Well, don't take credit for her work. Anyway, my name is Tara. My pronouns are they, them. And my fun fact is that I own a bearded dragon named Neptune, my spiky son. can't believe this is the first time we've brought him home. I've never mentioned him before. That's crazy. He's sometimes been here pre-recording. He could say yeah. hello, even. I mean, he doesn't talk. He might scratch the microphone. Well, he would. Yeah, he would make his presence known. He would. We love Neptune. Yes, my sweet spiky son. I think he's. Now I have a two spiky nephews: your spiky son and my younger siblings, Hedgehog. Yes. <laughs> How exciting! Yes. Happy Pride! Happy Pride! Yay! Yay! This is our Pride episode. Uh, this is coming out the day after the 52nd anniversary of the Stonewall riots, um, but technically. We'll still be in it because it lasts until July 3rd. So there you go. Just a fun fact for you. That is interesting. And the we whole have... month, of course, is Pride Month. So yes, we're having a great time. We're a little late to the party because this is coming out at the end of the month, but it's fine. Yeah, whatever. Anybody, you didn't get to go out and do any Pride activities. We talked about this off camera. Still with the COVID of it all, no parades this year, right? Um, I believe there are some places that are doing it. It's just I have crazy work life. Um, oh, yeah. But you didn't go to any. You did no. get a mug. Rainbow I do capitalism have a mug. strikes yeah, again. Well, a little bit. It says cheers, queers. That's a fun one. That is a fun one. Like that. Um, I had a three-person mini pride parade because my house had three pride flags that we usually stick in planters. And... Uh, one of our friends was over for the night and so we marched myself my sister and our good friend molly uh in in uh rainbow overalls each carrying pride flags only only one side of rainbow overalls tragically we'll build back up to that oh, marched okay. to our uh ice cream place with our little flags a little bit drunk it's fine and um <laughs> it's the ice cream place my sister works at but she was off so we marched up to get ice cream with our little flags and one of the kids was like are you guys going to a pride parade and we're like we are the pride parade <laughs> waving the flags give me a rainbow don't. jimmies on my ice cream <laughs> don't go to the parade be the parade be the parade jimmies <laughs> is in it. case you were unaware we're from new england so jimmies would be sprinkles in other parts of the world oh yeah i forget that that's a thing in other places i went to universal studios uh in florida with our dear friend sadie many years ago and yesterday was sadie's birthday happy oh, birthday yeah. sadie we love sadie. you we're so happy you got free pancakes you deserve the world she deserved the free pancakes the waitress thought she was turning 21 <laughs> you love Although, to see it i realized like 10 minutes ago that sadie has officially now is officially now eligible for the 27 club so she better watch true that. Uh, she'll produce her great movie works but mm. uh hopefully she's here many more so anyway um i was there with sadie uh many years ago in florida and we were getting ice cream and i was like mave sadie look at me sadie remember we both have to say sprinkles and not jimmies because they're gonna think we're crazy if we ask for jimmies in florida and so was like you're right i was like yeah i'm gonna remember that and then i walked to the counter and said can i have 
Jimmy's on my ice cream. And they're like, what? <laughs> you're like, job. you're going to, you, what? Hmm? This you is truly three Jimmy? minutes after I said out loud, don't say Jimmy's. It's a colloquialism from New England. They won't get it. And then I did it anyway. <laughs> you want a man named Jimmy on your ice cream? What? You're like, we don't know any Jimmy's. And he's like, yeah. I don't know how to help you. <laughs> yeah, really. They were like, I, listen. Also, you know, theme park workers are like, we've heard a lot of shit. And they still gave me a side <laughs> eye. Like, what the hell is a Jimmy? It's like, okay. Anyway. Oh. Our, anyway. our third co-host is here. There's a tubby right there. The cat has arrived. The cat has arrived. To give uh, her blessing. Yes. She says, gay pride. She a true queer icon. I showed you the pictures of, so listeners, I indulged the crazy cat lady in me uh, with the help of my friend Dakota, who did a Christmas card photo shoot with me and my animals. And there's a beautiful photo of me in my rainbow tie and Tubby in her rainbow tutu, and we're standing in front of the rainbow flag. It is the cutest thing in the world. It was included in my Christmas gift, and I yes. was delighted to have it. There's also other, like, cute, just wholesome family photos of just me holding her and the lizard. And They give off such an energy. We'll maybe have to put a few of them on our Instagram, which we are I hoping we to need. vamp up as well as get, in the coming days, get some new cover art and things going on our other socials. So remember to stay to listen to the end of the episode so you can catch what our social media handles are and maybe see some fun cat photos. Yes. I'll have to actually remember to put those things up. (laughs) That's That's the main problem, always. So, any other uh, life news to share? Oh, I took Joey to see Cruella. Oh, yes. Tell me how Cruella was. Oh, it was awesome. The fashion is stunning. Mm -hmm. The soundtrack was off the hook. Oh, my God. There were some questionable hair choices from Emma Thompson are we surprised by that i mean it wasn't her it was the hair designer whatever well sure but the movie cruella the woman emma thompson there was weird hair involved there was some weird hair there was a birthday cake there was like you know like the the baby toys that it's like the ring stacked on top of each other Uh uh-huh there was one that looked like that but it wasn't fun colors it was just brown so it kind of looked like poop Mm hmm i agree that does sound questionable yeah you were a big birds of prey fan you said right oh yeah so this was similar vibes kind of yeah it was it was like the similar like it painted Cruella to be like the anti-hero kind of like okay uh, like harley quinn and it was like it was the same like aesthetic style yeah as birds of prey i just I'm, I'm sure I'll see it eventually, maybe with you when it hits Disney Plus, probably. I'm just, I don't feel like going to the movie theater, but I just like, you know what I'm like, let Cruella be a villain. You know what I mean? It's fun as hell, you know? I mean, she, she still was like a villain, I but know. Like, it, it's, it's her backstory. It's the Maleficent type of. Okay. You just understand her motivations more. That's fine. Instead of just her being a crazy puppy killer, you understand why. But she's still a crazy puppy killer. So she's like, still she's a crazy still puppy the villain. killer. Spoiler alert, she's still a crazy puppy killer. However, you understand her motivation. So shall we do our customary coin toss to see who's going to talk first today? Wow. All right. right. Any, anything particularly special about the coin this week? No, it's the same coin from last week. Okay. I think it was what? South Carolina? North Carolina. North Carolina. One of those. No, the same one because I left it out because I didn't feel like putting it back in the thing bank. 
This reminds me of when I always have exactly one quarter in my purse to go to Aldi. Otherwise, I can't get a cart. Yes. <laughs> Except the last time I went to Aldi, they messed it up and they gave me a, back a cart that had no quarter. And I'm down a quarter. Can you believe? What the hell? Can you believe? There were some times that like, if I'm feeling like a good person and like want a karma boost, I'll take a bunch of quarters and just stick them in the carts. Oh, that's very nice of you. Yeah. Uh, when I lived in a different yeah exactly when I lived in a different neighborhood I would uh there would sometimes be people hanging around to return your cart in order to keep the change and uh when I needed a karma boost uh I would let them return it which is not really that much of uh, you know it's a quarter but that was my version of the same yeah passing on the love all right good another good karma boost is paying for the person in front of you Duncan or behind it. That can work, yeah. yeah. All right. Okay. Get ready to flip. Anyway, I'm calling, right? Yeah. You ready to flip? Get in position? We're in position. Okay. I'm going to try not to throw it at myself again. All right. I'm going to call heads. Okay. Tails. Tails. All right. So, Jerry, you're going first. All righty. What are we talking about today? So, I'm going to be talking to you about queer coding in cinema. Gonna go into a little bit of a history of Vada and what it is, and then we're gonna play a fun game. Okay. Okay. So we're gonna get into the boring stuff of what queer coding is at first. Uh, so queer coding is when media subtextually sprinkles in queer stereotypes with a character, even if that character's sexuality might not ever be explicitly expressed. Some stereotypes might include quote unquote effeminate men, quote yep. unquote masculine women. Uh, they're usually single and or have a sidekick who seems to have a very close, close relationship with them. Looking at you, every Disney villain ever. <laughs> I was going to say. However, this is different than queer baiting, which is when you hint at but not specifically depict a same-sex romantic relationship between characters. Mm-hmm. Looking at you, Chloe and Becca from Pitch Perfect. Sure, that's a good one. So queer coding actually goes back to the 1930s when the Hayes Code was established. And this was, it basically stated what could and could not be viewed on screen. Mm -hmm. Um, The code stated that films were not allowed to portray anything that was depicting one of the sins, pretty much. There was quite the list. This is a little bit. The Hayes Code in particular is a special interest of mine. So if anyone wants to hear more about this once we just discuss the queer coding, hit me up for some podcast recommendations. Mm. But yeah, there's a, there's a fun photo uh, someone took that was like trying to break all the Hayes Code violations at the same time. Oh, wow. Uh, it goes around Tumblr sometimes and it's like a woman with a slit up her skirt so you can see like the top of the lace. She has a smoke and a cigarette. She's got her foot on a man's chest he's lying on the ground she's pointing a gun at him uh oh, wow. and there's like and they list all the things that break so it's it's exactly that and right up there with premarital sex was yeah homosexuality right so yeah so the code stated that films were not allowed to portray perverse things aka mm-hmm. homosexuality sex before marriage you know any of those kind of things the Hayes Code is also responsible for scenes in older shows and films where married couples slept in separate beds because that was also considered perverse and inappropriate. Looking at you, I love Lucy. Yes. Although uh, they it, later broke it by show- depicting her as pregnant, which was also on the list. It was a very weird yeah. list of things. However, they could not say the word pregnant. Mm-hmm. For a long time. Yeah. That's where you got all those in the family way. 
right. euphemisms right. that all sound dumb. They're all silly. Uh, so it also stated that any depiction of sinful behavior could only be done by the villain, and the villain had to be punished by the end of the film. Look at that. AKA every Disney villain ever. Look at that. So these strict regulations led to coding certain characters, usually antagonists and villains, as I previously stated, with queer stereotypes because it's okay if the villain is gay because we're not supposed to like them. This, of course, didn't help the LGBTQ plus community uh, because it further perpetuated the whole gay is evil thing. Mm-hmm. For sure. Now, the Hayes Code was, a, was abolished in 1968, and obviously we've come a long way since then. However, unfortunately, queer coding has just become the formula for villains now. I even fell subject to it myself uh, with the Sherlock Holmes play that I wrote a couple years ago. Yes, the adaptation you uh, did. Yeah, where my perfect villainess, Jade Moriarty, uh, had huge bisexual energy. Shout out to my dear friend Fiona, who brought that beauty to life. We love her. Love that girl. Love. I miss her. We love uh, Sherlock Holmes played quite a... We're going to have to do a whole Sherlock Holmes episode to talk about the role that Sherlock Holmes plays in both of our lives. But that was yeah. great stuff we did with the production company in Lowell, Massachusetts called so Bellfire Productions. Yes. Shout out Leo. Shout out Leo. <laughs> love him. So now here's our game. Okay. We're going to dive into some of my favorite queer coded characters. Okay. Uh, I'm going to list them off and then we'll discuss why I'm thoroughly convinced that they're queer and I will not be convinced otherwise. Okay. Uh, spoiler alert, a good chunk of them are villains. Yeah, because... I will, so here's not, what... all, not all of them are Disney villains. Good. But... <laughs> here's good what I'm a little bit interested in for this game as we go through these characters. Like, they're go- like we know they're going to be queer-coded, but like are they all going to be effeminate men because i feel like that's one of the ones that persists you know what i mean butch women lesbian uh, butch women like have lesbian energy and then like effeminate men i will definitely say a good chunk of them are the effeminate because i feel like that's the trend in media sometimes not the only one but one of them i did a bit of a deep dig and made sure that i was eclectic in who i chose for this very cool uh, so the first one, Shigo from Kim Possible. Interesting. Just maybe it's wishful thinking on my part because she was definitely my first like girl crush. Who doesn't love Shigo? Uh, but she just gives off big top lesbian energy and that is the hill I will die on. Is it because of the way she's always fighting Kim Possible? Yeah. And they're definitely like as an adult watching that show because I have recently like, started rewatching it and I'm like, can't they just kiss? I just want them to kiss. True. <laughs> Very popular ship upon the internet. Yes. Who is that villain? Draken. Draken. Thank you. Yes, this, okay. Yeah, she was kind of. She was like supposed to be like his lackey, even though she was very much. He's like, clearly way more. Moron. I'm the brains of this whole thing. That was always a fun dynamic. I loved that show. Um. So the next one on my list is him from the Powerpuff Girls. Oh. Uh, that is lobster? a gender fluid babe. Yes, the devil with the lobster claws and the tutu. That is just a gender fluid babe. I Well, here's my question. Here's a, let's get a little philosophical for a half second. Okay. Where's the line where he, what makes him queer coded and not actually just. Because I like, don't think they ever explicitly said it. 
do they explicitly say anyone's sexualities in that show how explicit does it have to be i guess is and maybe this isn't an answerable question this might be a little more case-by-case basis especially as uh there's less and less assumption that there's they're automatically straight without it being explicitly stated in the presentation of a movie well i mean it's really in the world of powerpuff girls it doesn't it's not unheard of for this weird frankenstein thing to be walking in front of them you know different parts of different things that's a good point i hadn't thought about that part you know in that universe this creature just makes sense okay so um, i don't know i just I i always loved like he could go from in a split second of talking very nice and high pitched and then angry true that's true i just i definitely from a young age thought that that was just not supposed like a gender fluid individual like not supposed to really like it didn't feel like it was villainous that he was wearing i'm using he i don't know i don't really remember the show super well but like i i I, I always felt like that was just how the character was and not like oh it's supposed to be like sinister the fact that there's like a cross-dressing element or like a voice changing element but that could just be child childhood lens you know what i mean i haven't seen the show in a long time i also haven't but interesting definitely well and i mean and it was the villain so there's that leans towards that Who's next on the list? Uh, Jareth, the Goblin King from Labyrinth, aka David Bowie. Aka David Bowie. And I, I don't know that one well enough, but in my research, he was listed multiple times. Mm-hmm. Um, and it definitely said that he gave off at least by, if not pan. Energy. Interesting. And he's not a villain in that, is he? He is. The, he's the villain. He he's the villain. The yeah. Okay. He stole the baby. I was going to say the here's what I can contribute to this conversation. You remind me of the babe. Yes. Which babe? The babe with the power. The babe. Yep, that, that's what that bit. That's the, really the only part of that I can speak to with authority. Although, let me say this: fashion icon David Bowie in that movie. Yes, indeed. Whether I mean, or not there was supposed to be David Bowie a fashion icon. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. But nonetheless, that's uh, certainly in the culture. So I mean, I would say iconic particularly to lgbtq people who dress like that yeah way so maybe that's real recognizing real so it's a point in favor of coding being present right right. so this next one feels a little bit like cheating but i'll explain why let me hear it uh dr frankenfurter from rocky horror let's hear the let's hear the reasoning because you know he sings a whole song about being (coughs) queer aka one song i don't want to say the word because it's not a proper word anymore. well it's but... the name of the song i think it's, okay sweet we can transvestite say, the, the song is song. called sweet transvestite okay. and if that's an that isn't an anachronism now but it is the title of the song and we do let a lot of titles of things slide with that understanding we wouldn't use the word in other contexts right so anyway yes he sings a whole song about being a transvestite yeah so, however he was meant to spoof those older queer-coded villains, mm-hmm. um, which is why he's so outwardly queer. That's, I think that's really interesting in the timeline of this phenomenon. It was meant to phenomenon. poke fun at those older villains. Well, I, I mean, I think with the presence of that song, you just have to say, this is not coding. This is like a, a right, as right. you can it's, get. But it's it so interesting explicit. that the history of queer coding is so long that we have this you know a response to 
all these older movies in Dr. Frankenfurter and right. in Rocky Horror. And then, as I mean, as you point out, we've, we're now so much farther past Rocky Horror that some of the things in Rocky Horror would ring as punching down now, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, Some of the things, or, yeah. or they just they just ring in a much different way, as opposed to. Of how course, it's still the a beloved classic. But... Oh yeah, oh yeah. I'm gonna argue that one's explicit, but I like. It's interesting how representation changes. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So who's um, next? My next one is James from Team Rocket from Pokemon. Okay, you did spoil this one for me, and I immediately said, "My I note know. just said, need I say more?" And then you said, "Say more, please." I said, "I don't." <laughs> I've never watched this show and I do not know what that character even looks like. So I do in fact need to, to say some more things. Okay. So for my dear friend, Maeve and anyone else who may not know much about Pokemon, he is on team rocket, which is always against Ash and all of his mm-hmm. friends. Um, they're always trying to. I do know that. that those two people both have hair. Jesse and James. Yes. Yep. Uh, James is very effeminate. He's, he speaks in a higher register. He's always very, you know, flowy and flourishy. He's got the flowy hair. He's always like smelling flowers and shit. It's mm-hmm. it feels very intentional. Okay. And he's Whereas, the villain and, once again. Yes. And Jesse is really the she go to his dragon. Interesting. Where she's just like, you're an idiot. Let's just do this. Fair. The next one, I'm sure we've all at some point have talked about. Marcy and Peppermint Patty from the Peanuts. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, of course. That's a that's a really interesting one. Um, and I saw a meme a while back that it said something about Marcy always called Peppermint Patty sir. Yeah, exactly. There was a character that preferred to be called something else, and no one questioned it. They just went with it. Yeah, that is interesting, right? That's, I mean, that's it one of those things. So Ben Marcy just being her sidekick and just you know out of respect of you're my boss, I'm calling you. Yeah, her. it could have been more. I think that that's what it was intentional to be, but yeah, it, the the reasoning could have been that. But then once you see it in action, you're like, huh. That's yeah. one of those things that as a child, I would never have felt the need you know especially because peanuts you you start watching peanuts at a very young age i never would have thought to see that as other than just that's how these two interact with each other right which is why i think it's especially interesting when there's this in children's television right speaking of of children's television i think i know where we're going next ernie yes who you told me was yes so i am we, d- we had a brief, for those of you watching at home, we'll pull back the curtain just a little watching bit. Watching at home? Uh, yep. Yep, you yep. get it now. If you're watching this audio podcast at home. <laughs> um, I'm not will... so dumb anymore. <laughs> okay, okay, listen. Um, I, I uh, to pull back the curtain, Jared and I do have a little meeting where we make sure we're not, uh, we're on the same page about what podcast we're going to do before this. And then uh, we had discussion where jared told me burton ernie was going to be on this list and i was like so you know about the writer of that show right jared was like no so i'm looking it up right now the author in question is named mark salzman and in september of 2018 and he gave an interview 
Uh, he was a script and songwriter for Sesame Street, and he gave an interview to, I believe it's called Queerty, a publication called Queerty, where he said that when he was writing on the show, Bert and Ernie, he always wrote Bert and Ernie as like reflecting his own gay relationship with a film editor named Arnold Glassman. So he did not originate the characters. He started writing 15 years after Bert and Ernie first appeared. But the whole time he was writing on the show, even though there was never an explicit doctrine one way or the other, he was always writing those two as himself and his boyfriend or fiance or partner. Which I think is very sweet. Just separately just separately from um, what that would mean kind of big picture. I just think it's very sweet to write your own relationship into two beloved characters and they stay really beloved. What a love letter that is. I love that so much. Such That's a so sweet, sweet story. And um, the, the response uh, to that was uh, Sesame Street basically saying they're puppets. Nobody has an orientation on Sesame Street because they're all puppets. Mm. so it was a little bit of a denial yeah but and and people said uh one of the one of the better responses so we'll we'll go back frank oz who's big deal in in puppeting uh later tweeted after some of the backlash one last thought about this situation if jim henson and i had created bert and ernie as gay characters they would have been inauthentic coming from two straight men However, mm-hmm. I have now learned that many view them as a representation of a loving gay relationship, and that's pretty wonderful. Thanks for helping me understand. So I think, what an interesting case. Yeah. See what Of seeing what you want to, not what you want to see, but like seeing something that wasn't intentionally put there doesn't mean it's not there. You know? Right. Which is one of the reasons queer coding is kind of important in yeah. a way. When it's the only representation even if it's not good it gives you something to hold yeah there have been a lot of actors and you know film people who have been quoted saying negative representation representation is better than none yeah yeah i had a and also um there's a great documentary called the celluloid closet that talks a lot about queer coding throughout the entire history um came out in the 90s so it's more about the early to mid-century um and there was a quote I've always remembered one guy who talked about how so many villains were like effeminate men or like if there was anyone who was like supposed to be queer it was like a costume designer and a behind the scenes thing and he's like stealing the high heels of the performers or something stuff that you would think of as not as mean-spirited let's say like not a there but his response this man's response a commentator in the film was like except I was an old queen so it was nice to see an old queen. Hmm. And there were, and then there were other people who responded, you know, I'm more of like a, someone who'd be like in the leather community as a gay man or a bear or someone who just was very not that, not right. a, an old queen stereotype who felt like people keep saying this is the only way to be gay. So now it's like, I'm kind of alienated from my own gay community in addition to society would never believe me because I don't fit this stereotype. So it's complicated. Like it was comforting for someone who did fit that, but it was a little alienating for someone else. And then it's not, it's mean spirited to straight people watching. So yeah, the layers, but I think Bert and Ernie are good. Yes. Anyway, back to the list. Yes. Who's next? (laughs) The evil queen from Snow White. And I'll tell you, Pourquoi. Thank you. Go ahead. (laughs) 
She is jealous of Snow White's feminine beauty and literally wants to possess her heart. Good point. Symbolism? See, that's a that's a good point. That I had not thought of. Possessing Symbolism? of the heart. Yeah. So it seems. The next is Radigan from The Great Mouse Detective. Oh my god, The Great Mouse Detective. He's a closeted rat disguised as a mouse. Hmm. Think about it. I like that because it shows how the coding is not always like In explicit. Your Sometimes it's yeah. situational. Right. Right, and uh, just, which makes it, it harder for people to find themselves sometimes, but it's there. Yeah, I mean, and if you look at him, he's very much a dandy. You know, he's all about the, be, the yeah. and all that. But there's levels. Um, Great Mass Detective will also go on our list to talk about when we have our Sherlock Holmes episode sometime in the future. Yes. Uh, I recently saw a TikTok that said that Ryan and Kelsey from High School Musical were each other's beards, and I love it. Fascinating. <laughs> okay. <laughs> love it i just think it's so funny <laughs> let's do it i mean why, why wouldn't they be think about it and the the picture and when they were talking specifically about kelsey they were like look at her look at her and tell she and tell me she's not straight look at look her in the bowler hat and tell me she's not straight you leave bowler hats out of this <laughs> bowler hats are an excellent uh I wore a bowler hat in Sherlock Holmes. Well, that's <laughs> not evidence to the contrary now, is it? No, it's not. <laughs> not even a little bit. Not even a wee bit. No. Well, this uh, is on the list. So here's one that I never thought of until recently. Mm. Although it makes sense. Governor Ratcliffe from Pocahontas. That movie has so much going on that uh, there's like eight levels of colonialism to and white savior to get to before I would even think of that. Okay, What's give the reasoning? Me a second to describe him: the pigtails with the pink bows, mm-hmm. the fuchsia coat, and a little frou frou pug. That's interesting. And he's just very campy. He loves, you know, the big grand gestures, mm-hmm. and it's just it's, I it's that's in his campiness. The level of camp certainly is there. Yeah, That's an interesting one to think about on a couple levels because just like in life, like your sexuality also overlaps with your race and like what society you're in and like what's going on also. So right. like maybe he is, I would have to look at it. I'd like to look at it through, like watch the movie thinking this in the back of my head and see if it clicks. But mm-hmm. like on top of that, there's so many other things going on there's a lot of other things happening and it's also like we're supposed to be historical but this is like a 90s movie so like maybe the pigtails are period correct but also maybe they're like stylized period correct aka animators wanted it to look old-fashioned but also uh suggestive of a sexuality at the same time so much to consider that's why there's a lot to think about in old movies uh, so the next on my list is mm-hmm. Jafar from Aladdin. Okay. But here's why. And I thought this was interesting. Mm-hmm. While the kingdom of Agrabah is not a real place, it was loosely based on, and I'm sorry about the pronunciation, the Abbasid Caliphate. I am so sorry about the pronunciation of that's correct. Okay. That's correct. During the golden age of Islam, yep. uh, where, queer, where queer society actually flourished in certain places. So it would make sense. For someone of that time period to be gay and it, yeah and, and have that place of power that he did 
because and he, was, he was the Sultan's vizier. I think it's it's just all of these villains, particularly the Disney villains, fit right into the pursuing our hero who is of the same sex. Yes. Like, yes. and it's you know, th- there there's a movie around it, and it's for villainous reasons, and blah 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 blah. But inherently pursuing the same sex character and and it's usually it, wanting to, and pursuing something that the hero has that they do not yes whether and wanting and therefore wanting to possess a little bit in some yeah. way like that's what it is right. that's where the suggestion comes from right okay so jafar i see i see uh <laughs> my next note just says hades from hercules is the og gay best friend yeah right i mean that. he's literally flaming there's that literally flaming so many of those times where he he's like practically giving love advice to meg where he's like he's my a guy favorite? yeah i was just about to say that's my favorite when he's like sweetheart he's a guy <laughs> just, like that feels very i'm How saying do you know about being in relationships with men hades is it because you're coded to have suggestions that you were in relationships with men maybe a little bit yes in the phrasing uh, yes moving on mm-hmm uh, I will also not be convinced otherwise that Timon and Pumbaa were in a relationship and they adopted Simba to be their son. Then, sure. That works. And that's nice. Him. Finally not a villain. You know what yeah. I mean? I told you, Finally someone else in the Burton Ernie mold. Right. Yeah. Timon and Pumbaa are in a gay relationship and they adopted Simba. And, and, and uh, also reminiscent of... Um, the gargoyles in Hercules, not Hercules. Oh my God, the Hunchback of Notre Dame yeah, is what I meant yeah, to say. Yeah. I don't know if there they're on the three list. Three of them, though. That's true. They were just their own little family. Good for that. Anyway, can we just talk about the gender fluidity of Emperor Fusco from the Emperor's New Group? Interesting. Interesting. I don't know, it, and it, it, again, it has to do with his campiness too. Mm-hmm. But and it's interesting that he's not the villain. That's true. <laughs> isn't queer coded if you think about it she's really not she's just a grumpy old lady but, yeah she fits in uh, other like maybe misogynistic stereotypes but not not right. queer coded ones i would right. say also rest in peace earth of kids what a <sighs> my angel <laughs> i love her um but yeah ember Cusco. i just i don't know i've i've always kind of read him as kind of gender fluid interesting good point i yeah. mean it's there obviously yeah i know in, in the presentation it's... and there's also there's i mean there's also a, a long tradition of a, a trope of men in dresses for comedy you know what i mean like, i mean he wasn't in a dress it was the robe but like, i know but but like the the idea of cross-dressing only for comedy and not because it's something else like with right. us uh what is it some like it hot so um is that the one with jack lemon and the nobody's perfect line yeah and um there's a lot of examples of that to see mrs doubtfire etc 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 that was all cross-dressing for a reason yes but inherently funny to the audience part of the joke is always look it's a man in a dress yeah there's no other reason right it's not possible that this is how they dress themselves for their own comfort it's just funny there's no yeah you know that kind of thing yeah never a presentation of someone honestly 
doing right. drag. And I mean, The Emperor's New Grove is definitely like, I can always go back to that movie and it always makes me laugh every time. It's, it's a classic to me. And even as a young queer child, even before I knew what queer was, I mm-hmm. kind of always read him as gender fluid. Even as a child. Yeah. It makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. And even though he's a llama for most of the movie, but it was like, mm, true. there's something a little little off about you. And I kind of okay. like it. We love that. <laughs> Keep that energy, certainly. Yeah. Uh, speaking of gender fluidity and androgyny and all that, Turk from Tarzan. Turk from Tarzan. Voiced by Rosie O'Donnell. I was so about to say, just, there's that. that. kind of automatically makes her queer anyway. Yeah. But We like, love to see it. She doesn't have any romantic interest in any of the male gorillas. Mm-hmm. She has a lot of guy friends. You know, all her friends are guys. There's no other female gorillas. Um, and there's never anything explicitly said no. about her relationships, even though there are explicit things about other relationships. Like there's parents are in relationships and Tarzan enters a relationship, et cetera, et cetera. Right. But oh, I'm just. Fits. Yeah. Um, and again, as a young queer child, she was one that I could relate to because, you know, mm-hmm. she was a tomboy. I was a tomboy, you know, and it just made sense. We're moving away from everyone automatically being a villain, even though there's definitely still villains. We're finding yeah. some who are not. Right. Because we're now post Hayesco's death. Right. Fully. Right. Uh, so <laughs> my last one. Okay. Last but certainly not least. No. You know I gotta talk about Ursula from The Little Mermaid. Go on. Uh, I have a theory about her. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, we all know that she was modeled after the drag legend Divine. But here is my theory. Mm-hmm. We can't let a man voice a car- voice a woman who was modeled after a drag queen because that's too on the nose for a children's movie, right? Uh huh. So they say, sure. However, what we can do is have a woman like Pat Carroll, who happens to have a deeper voice, mm-hmm. play her. It's still a woman, so you can't get mad. Sure. That's my theory. I don't know if that's correct, but... I mean, it's I, I certainly the choice of voice was very deliberate because that is a movie based on voice and because they do want her to be like it's obviously in that movie in particular listen we all love the little mermaid we all but we can critique like obviously femininity traditional femininity is except ariel i hate ariel well traditional femininity is very highly praised within that movie yeah because ariel it looks like that ariel is uh all big eyes and meek no talking to right. to pursue a prince we don't even have to get into the no talking of it all but the, you know the sisters the only outcast that we see is ursula who once lived among the regular mermaid society and she's the only one who would break that mold in any capacity yes uh the broadway musical explored that she was king triton's sister yep, yep. and when he rose to power he banished her and she just wants as she sings in the musical, mm-hmm. she wants the good times back. Yes. Which is a, an interesting additional element. And this is one of those, uh, is this what we're going to talk, we're going to bring up my man whose name I always forget. 
Oh, uh, Howard. Howard Ashman. Howard Ashman. Well, hold on. Before we move on to that okay. random fun fact about Ursula, uh-huh. she only has six tentacles. Well, that's not right. It was because of budgeting, and eight was too hard to draw. You have a strict six tentacle budget. Yeah. Okay, I know this is Disney, but we have to be reasonable. Six it tentacles a, only. You can't add two more. Eight nope. is too much. Eight is right it, out. It was also too hard to draw. That's but. fair enough, I guess. <laughs> anyway, um, on to Howard Ashman. Howard Ashman, I wanted to say, is uh, of particular import uh, songwriter and I think storyboard for Disney for many years. Uh, who worked with Alan Menken for a long time, even before working it together at Disney, a gay man who did uh, Beauty and the Beast, Little Mermaid, and uh, some work on Aladdin. And those stories have an element of not just the villains having uh, gay coding, but some of the story elements, particularly like the we can't be together of it in beauty and the beast and the the i couldn't be with you because you're so different like we could this relationship could never work in in some of these movies has been attributed to him and his his ability to write that is really credited to himself and his personal life and also of course his amazing abilities and his professional relationship with alan macon and blah 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 but we have mentioned you know two to three of his movies so look at that uh, so that's all I have, but let me close by saying, listeners, this was all in fun. Please don't take any of our opinions to heart. Uh, at the end of the day, we're just people with opinions. This so, is true. And I would love to hear some other people's. I would love yes. to hear if people have... I feel like as a phenomenon, queer coding is something just like with a lot of other phenomenons in movies where like some of the tropes that you write in the heart when it's a good one, you know? Like, when it's someone you feel like you see yourself in, you're like, ah. Right. I love it. And then it's someone, it's a different queer-coded villain or, or person or storyline. You're like, this just feels rude and, like, you're punching down to me and offensive. Same with so many, like, different, like, straight relationships where sometimes you're like, wow, this is, like, a great, like, sweeping romance. And other times you're like, this is fully abusive, yeah, you know what I mean, like how, like we just talked about Beauty and the Beast. How sometimes you're like, wow, this is like a beautiful growth of love, and other times you would see the same plot in a different movie or book, and you'd be like, this is fully Stockholm syndrome, and I don't want to see it romanticized. I would yeah. love to hear if any listeners had uh, reactions like that to any of yeah. the characters we did or didn't mention, because it's very interesting to think about. Yeah. Yes, please let us know what. Uh what characters you felt a connection to as a child like how i felt really related to turk who was a fictional gorilla. <laughs> we love that for you <laughs> listen i am bitch i am a full rosie o'donnell stan i love that woman i loved her talk show i loved that she was the voice i loved her in league of their own yes but uh so we ended on divine the inspiration yes. for ursula yes. divine is going to be a factor in my story as well but not right away we're gonna have to build up to it so you guys have to stay tuned but so for pride month i have decided you talked about a big concept i've decided to just talk about a gay man i really like uh and he's also in hollywood it's the actor tab hunter okay some people might have heard of him um some people who are not uh mid-50s movie buffs 
uh, or indie movies of the 80s buffs might might not have heard of him before, but he was a contemporary of people like he went out for the same roles as Paul Newman, James Dean, Marlon Brando, Dennis Hopper, these people, Anthony Perkins will factor into this story pretty significantly. This is um, a story about him. And so I will, the basic summary is Tap Hunter uh, was an actor beginning in the fifties and then lasting up until probably the nineties. And, but separately from that, and he was a boy next door he was under the studio system contract he was a heartthrob to end all heartthrobs a lot of his career came in the 50s um just because he was on every girl's wall he needed to be in every teeny bopper magazine you wanted to win the contest to go on a date with him he was just the all-american to end all americans he was also a gay man and uh for a long time he did not want to talk about that uh in any way but uh, in 2005, he released an autobiography called uh, Tab Hunter Confidential that was made into a documentary. And that is the first time he really, as a, as a much older man, he was born in 31. So by 2005, he was in his 70s. And he had come to peace and a lot of his storylines that heavily featured his sexuality had kind of ended in his life. He was really at peace at that time. And he felt comfortable talking about it for the first time in 2005 after living this life and so i'm now basically just going to summarize this documentary to you um and it is streaming on amazon prime and i highly recommend everyone watches it he is an absolutely magnetic man what is it called again it's called tab hunter confidential okay and uh he's an absolutely magnetic movie star and it features a lot of uh other people including george takai um and and other uh actors and actresses talking about hollywood and him and blah 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 so Tab Hunter. He was born Art Galen in July 11th, 1931. He has uh, his mother, Gertrude, who's very close with his older brother, Walt, who's very close with. They're about 11 months apart, and uh, they had a very abusive father. He says his first memory ever was of uh, his father abusing his mother while he and his brother were crying. He has no other childhood memories of his father because his mother left. She... Had a tough life. She was a German immigrant, but she got her kids out. She worked extremely hard to provide for them. And she uh, set them both on a good path in their lives. So uh, in his childhood, he's very shy, nervous, uh, very, very close to his older brother, Walt, and just follows him in everything. Uh, He was raised Catholic. He sang in the church. He, He went to the movies all the time. And he raised Roman Catholic. Church was Roman Catholic. I don't know if I said that. And he he liked he liked being religious, but as we know, the Catholic Church was very anti-gay at this time in particular. And he went to one confession uh, to confess. And if you're not Catholic, confession is when you go to the priest specifically to ask forgiveness of sins. And it's an absolutely confidential matter. Priests cannot talk about it. Protected by law but the priest is supposed to guide you in this confession. And this one priest made Tab feel so bad that he left the church and for a long time was not really able to connect to a religion that he felt was important to himself. He felt that being Catholic was important to him, but he couldn't find a place within the church because of this priest's actions and also the general attitude of the church at the time. But he sang there. That was his first time really 
uh, yeah, so this is, not only is this the story of Tab Hunter in Hollywood, it's also really the story of sexuality uh, and coming to terms with it in America because he talks about early on, he says in his childhood, there was no word for gay. There was not the word gay. There were only derogatory terms that he knew were derogatory and that he himself imagines he used against other people because they were just insults. It was, that's what it was. And he didn't want to be different. He was very, very shy. Uh, and this was the background. So he, at this time, knew that he was gay, but did not have a word for it and did not feel comfortable. It was bottled up inside himself. He didn't feel comfortable or connected with it. However, he was, I, I really can't stress enough, this enough, and this is why I want you to watch the documentary. So magnetic. Such, he had it. He is a movie star from the minute, the minute he was born. So when he got to school... Girls were so attracted to him that he would follow him in the ha- in the hallways. Uh, his classmates and himself said that they would sometimes trap him. and He'd have to like hide in classrooms to get away from people following him. And this made him so uncomfortable that he dropped out of school and joined the Coast Guard because he just could not engage with that. Yeah. So he joined the Coast Guard. He was underage. He was 15 when he joined the Coast Guard and did this. So when they found out he was 15, he's like, that's not allowed. Bada bing, bada boom, get out of here. So he moved to L.A. and started doing odd jobs. Um, at the same time, his brother, Walt, who is very close with, introduced Tab to horses and horse riding and jumping. So in the background of this, Tab is also uh, doing dressage and other kinds of, of horse showing. And while he was doing that, he managed to meet an actor named Dick Clayton. And uh, okay. when he was coming to do a photo shoot with an actress named Anne Blythe. And so this is, um, this would be like late. 40s maybe up to like 51 he's like 20 to 22 years old and tab formed a bond with dick clayton immediately dick clayton was like almost a father figure an older man a friend who really gave uh, tab a safe place where he didn't feel like everyone talking to him wanted something from him or wanted him specifically and uh dick clayton suggested that tab should become an actor and tab had always been a movie guy he he liked it he liked the idea and so he started trying to do it and here's where we get to another interesting little bit of general gay culture at the time so have you ever heard of harry wilson maybe not he was a big deal agent for movie stars in hollywood but all of his clients were like gay pretty boys um his clientele included rock hudson and uh, oh. other actors at the time who were uh, yeah, known to yeah, be, yeah. who later on were known or suspected to be gay, but either way f- were very like attractive in the same way. Right. Uh, and he was, he was a predator. He was a casting couch agent. He hit on all of his clients. He wanted to pursue relationships with his clients and he would hit on tab and tab uh, describes it in the documentary. He's like, Oh, he'd touch your knee. He'd bump your knees together, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so tab was aware of this and tab never, himself says he never himself engaged in any type of relationship with harry wilson but um he's someone you can look up if you want more information because there are a lot of people who had encounters good and bad with him but harry wilson changed his name uh to tab hunter which was a difficult adjustment for a kid named art glenn right uh but he was very handsome and harry wilson started submitting him to everybody and he was quickly cast in a few movies for being very handsome but was not like this was his first time acting he was not really an actor yet he was just a magnetic stage presence and so he got 
roasted by critics for quite some time because he was not a good actor poor baby um but dick clayton encouraged him to take acting lessons and then dick helped get him a part in our town the famous oh, play that i'm sure yeah. you've read he played george yeah love that play and so while he was in this play uh an actress in the play marilyn erskin was another actress in this play sorry about the pronunciation yeah my apologies um what you can hear her talk herself in the documentary if you watch um she saw him and was like this is like he this is a very good role for a young actor and an important role and i don't know about this but she went to the read through with him and decided to help him and mentor him and really help him grow during this role and this role led to him being able to book a few more substantial parts in movies and help him grow as an actor and he uh, got a seven-year studio contract with Warner Brothers and Jack Warner, which at this time period was a big deal. Uh, yeah, this is like this is making it. This is where they build you into being a star. So, like I said before, uh, James Dean and Paul Newman were—he was testing against them for a lot of roles. He was getting put in certain things uh, to be this boy next door all-American relationship and one of these things included him being in a publicity relationship with natalie wood for many years oh the famous natalie wood he described her as the sweetest little thing that ever came down the road she was like my kid sister and they were in addition to natalie wood he's put in publicity relationships with a lot of other people um he would go on dates just dates with people and let me see if I could find some of them. Debbie Reynolds was one of them as well. So oh. we're talking real names. And um, they all these women describe him as a perfect gentleman, always picked up the check, opened the door. Um, they'd have these lovely dates, but there would always be a photographer at these dates because they were always these publicity dates. And he himself would say that he would be really close to these women, but the relationship would not be deep at all because he ha- always had a wall up around uh being gay and not just being even comfortable within himself about that Mm. let alone in a place where he felt like he could tell somebody else let alone people who had such control over his ability to make money so uh he also at this time so simultaneously to pursuing acting he was also a singer at the same time uh, and he was such a good singer that his first single went to number one on the pop charts for six weeks and it knocked Elvis down to number two. So I am not kidding you. And this was such a big deal that Jack Warner, so he had sung with uh, just a record company and Jack Warner, who owned his uh, movie contract, was so mad that he had recorded with someone else that he founded Warner Brothers Records to make Tab Hunter records. Wow. We're talking about this super duper level of this is also mid 50s he's part of the expansion of teenage culture this is where things like beach movies start being a thing taking the movie taking the dad's car to the drive-in this is kind of the first post-world war one world war ii sort of cultural expansion eisenhower years yeah he was in movies and he was acting in movies and people definitely thought that he was talented at that but he was so popular with women he was truly you go look at these this is Beatlemania this is One Direction this is Harry Styles people have their rooms plastered with his photo and so he's in teen movies a teen movie magazines Tiger Beat all of the time and he says that he would get photo shoots that were called things like 
tab hunter drives a car or tab hunter cleans the window just like anything to take pictures of him going getting reported on just being a normal human being exactly uh but also like let's pose you so you look like you're doing normal human being things but there is a light that's going to make your cheekbones look fierce you know (laughs) kind of at this time he enters his first real relationship with a man uh and this was a figure skater named ronnie robertson and tab also was a figure skater at the time um he competed in regionals and nationals he he was doing a lot with his life um but robbie robbie robertson was an extremely talented skater a very technically good skater and they dated and while they were dating tab could and would hear rumors about two of them being together because they were both public eye to an extent and this was his first lesson in being a public eye and wanting to compartmentalize carpet carp hello (laughs) compartmentalize that's the word I got you. I don't know what just happened to my brain, but this was his first chance to do that. Um, Whatever that word is. Whatever that word is. And this was, this relationship really had a lot going on because um, there's politics in the ice skating world. So the fact that they were around each other was uh, seen together, I should say, was bad politics. And at one point, a skater even took his skate blade to the side of Tab's car and fucked up the paint so he keyed the side of his ride uh and then one year it was championships it was 1956 championships roll around and ronnie is told that he would not win the world championships if he brought tab with him and ronnie said it doesn't matter i wanted tab to be there and ronnie did not win even though he turned in a winning performance and that's Mm. sort of compromises you were making in your life at that time that's that's what being a gay man in 1956 was even if you were i i didn't do too much additional research about ronnie robertson but apparently somewhat more open man because at least people would say hey don't bring your boyfriend and he could say no i'm going to yeah so even if he was theoretically maybe more comfortable with himself at that time internally than tab was you're still making these these compromises all the time so a very very much lived through the whole arc of it in America. Um, And Tab's, so Tab's mother, meanwhile, he's still very close with his mother, sometimes living with his mother. She doesn't like being public at all. She visited him on set twice and only ever did one magazine interview. So in addition to maybe not wanting to have his sexuality out there, he, his mother is a private woman and he takes after her. Mm. And unfortunately, uh, having lived the life she had, she was, uh, changes started happening to her personality uh and tab had to have her committed to a mental institution which was an extremely hard thing for him to have to do she ended up doing electric spot treatment um very fragile following that treatment yeah and uh he swore to him tab swore to himself that he she would never have to work again he he would take care of her no matter what for the rest of his life and he did he followed through on that promise admirably and he uh at around the similar time he made a few psas about mental illness um that sort of thing that would play in a newsreel at a theater um this is still before like too much home television this is really when you were going out and you'd have these um so there'd be some tv too but you'd have these playing all the time like this is what hollywood's tab hunter has to say but at the same time and this period of time 
being gay was mental illness. Being gay was classified legally mental illness. And so what an uncomfortable position to be in as he's taking care of his mother and he sees how she's treated for mental illness and he wants no one to be treated like that. He's also fully aware that if someone got it in their head to harm him, they could do that to him for something that was not anyway tab is tab is living through that and he's he feels uncomfortable with the attention he's getting for being so such a ladies man so attractive to women and this classic all-american boy because he feels like he's hiding but he also does not want to be out it's a very uncomfortable position and then he switches agents so harry wilson the uh, the groomer the predator uh but also the very prominent guy good at getting you in the door Tad feels like he's outgrown him and his very good friend Dick Clayton has become an agent, has retired from acting and is going to become an agent and he wants to switch to having Dick Clayton be his agent. So he does. And Harry Wilson is so vindictively angry at Tab for leaving that when uh, a tabloids like Confidential Magazine, who had a lot of power in the industry, they receive information about Rock Hudson's sexuality. Oh. As we know, Rock Hudson was a gay man as well, yeah. whose sexual who was a leading man in Hollywood and therefore had a vested interest in no one knowing his sexuality right. at this time period. Harry Wilson trades an arrest record of Tab Hunters and gives that to Confidential Magazine so that they won't publish anything about Rock Hudson. Mm. He t- Harry Wilson sells out one of his now former clients to protect one of his current clients. Um, and the, the information was... Uh, tab was arrested for going to a party in a private home that had gay men in attendance and it was a place where you could safely uh hook up a little bit but also just hang out with people and they were all arrested based on really harsh laws about sexuality and the headline that ran in the paper about tab hunter was get ready for this open homophobia tab hunter caught at a limp-wristed pajama party oh my god right they just put that in a magazine that's fabulous i love that i first of all that's the theme of my next party (laughs) pajama party i'm gonna put it on an invitation printed professionally i better be invited um obviously you will be hosting with me we're all gonna get silk pajamas and we're gonna pose with limp wrists i guess (laughs) that might be offensive but uh we won't get arrested for it because it's not 1956 anymore right (laughs) Uh, so as this happened, Tab Hunter is such a profitable star for the studio system and for Jack Warner specifically that they fully pay to get that shit out of there. They pay okay. for people to print other articles that say things like, how long can a man withstand uh, vicious rumors about his personal life before he blows a gasket? Like that kind of response. Other things. Okay. Uh, because he's profitable and it's within their interest to say, hey, as long as you don't openly be gay in front of anybody you know as long as no one can can reasonably guess and as long as you don't get any more arrest records or whatnot we will get rid of the ones that already exist and we will get rid of the other rumors as long as you continue to make us money if not we'll sell you out the same way your agent did but that's the energy of hollywood at the time tab hunter is not the only man in this position or woman frankly uh at this time he tab also starts considering getting married because that's just what's done he considers if he wants to marry a woman and he meets a french actress who's in a movie and she 
they have a real genuine connection. They like each other. They hang out a lot. They don't speak the same language and they work at communicating. And he thinks about marrying her. And she later says that she thought their relationship was a soul searching time about his sexuality, where maybe he meets, he thinks maybe I, you know, this is speculation. He didn't say this, but it's that energy of maybe I just haven't met the one woman. Maybe she's the one, maybe it's, it's possible for me to change that type of thought process. Yes. This actress was in the documentary. They spoke uh, really well and highly of each other which is one of the reasons that i really like that he made this documentary later in his life when there's time to reflect when they had pursued other relationships it was not like a fresh heartbreak it was time to reflect and see the changes in the world and so she says she would have married him for love and not for the purpose of hiding his sexuality she had heard rumors he had never confided in her but if she got married that's the reason she would have done it okay and then tab she said she thought tab was too good a man to really have ever done that too too aware of what he would have been putting onto her to put her in that position and every person who every every one of the women who dated tab and and many people they really spoke of his character and his strength of character and even though he was having this eternal struggle he didn't ever seem to make it the problem of a woman especially Mm -hmm. he never seemed to make it anyone else's problem but he expressed himself that he felt at this time the way he kind of viewed himself was if you were with a man you were sinning and if you were with a woman you were lying Hmm. what a terrible thing to have to choose between and we know that's not true but what a terrible feeling to have so yeah and you can see that you know the being in the catholic church which sometimes gave him peace also gave him this conundrum yeah but now that's the sad thing that's a you know tough times uh what what if we make it a little juicy please do we're going to talk about one of the most famous relationships of tab hunter's life and that was with anthony perkins you know him you love him he's in psycho and in many other yes in uh, many other movies anthony perkins tony perkins as they called him so people at the time people who knew them at the time actresses that they were both going on publicity dates with and things everyone said it was obvious that they were more than friends they were in many ways opposites they were more east coast west coast uh anthony perkins is always like a, a sensitive character you think of him and psycho that was sort of the roles he was cast in the way he was looking right. meanwhile tab hunter is a more macho person he you know he rides horses for fun he's an all-american type he's a close cropped blonde hair type of guy but they start seeing each other they start dating so tab would often go to a movie premiere with natalie wood then go out to uh Ciro's and they'd go dancing with her they'd be photographed dancing together and then they would both go out the back door and natalie woods would go on a date with dennis hopper and tab would go out with tony perkins so like we're talking about the hollywood gossip to end all hollywood gossip however wood was totally on board with being his beard i don't think she explicitly knew that she was but they definitely didn't think they were in a romantic relationship with each other they thought they were great friends who played the part and they could go out dancing and have fun and then she could go see she certainly would have no problem going to see dennis hopper after and tab knew so right they were in an interesting position yes i think if you were able to ask natalie wood later uh, as we all know she uh was probably murdered on a boat we'll get to that in another episode i'm sure but i i think if she were to talk about it later she would talk about it as a friendship that was sort of played up for media but that's what was going on at the time and there were other actresses in this position with between the two of them not just natalie wood and some of them talk about being in the documentary talk about 
in the photo magazines there'd be a picture of her and tab hunter on one page and then you'd turn the the photo and there'd be a picture of her and anthony perkins on the next page but never a picture with anthony perkins and tony hopkins hello okay of tab hunter and anthony perkins together (laughs) i'm not speaking today i'm just not but (laughs) so tony tony was very concerned about his image and their images and he never wanted them to be seen together Hmm. uh but he would sometimes that would be career ending for both of them it would be and uh tony was very dedicated to being a movie star uh above almost everything else and um some people said that he sometimes seemed like he had a hidden agenda and you never knew him 100 percent because he had his sexuality that was obviously hidden but also his number one pursuit was always being an actor um so some of the people who knew them both said that like Tony would uh, sometimes go and cry to his friends about the relationship. And like when they had a fight, like he, he would to certain people be more able to disclose that there was a romantic relationship or at the very least Tab's actions hurt his emotions. You know, he was able to acknowledge that. Meanwhile, Tab said he would never talk to any of his friends or so-called friends about the relationship at all. And if anyone had brought it up, tab said he would go berserk he would have really lost his gasket which is uh, speaking to his mental state at the time you know speaking to everything he was balancing but back to tony perkins hidden agenda and pursuit of of being a movie star above all else here's ready for this story get ready for this one so tab tab hunter does a live tv play called fear strikes out and he has a really good role in it and and he likes it tony says i saw the play i thought you did really well in the play and tab says thank you i want my studio warner brothers to buy the rights to this play so that i can be in the movie then a couple weeks go by they're out on a date they're hanging out casually and tony says oh by the way paramount my studio bought the rights to the play so i can play the same role that you wanted oh i wish you could have just seen jared's face but right right wow right what a shady bitch what what calculation what and again i really want you guys to watch this movie because you have to hear tab's response to this he goes he he goes okay so listen (laughs) tony was an ambitious young man he's a fine actor he deserved to be working. He's very good in all the roles he was in, including this one. But I felt betrayed. Yeah. And our relationship was strange after that. And from then they uh, basically they broke up over time. So that's a, that's a famous relationship in Hollywood. You can, I think Ryan Murphy might have even put some of that relationship or relationships mirrored on, based on their relationship in his hollywood uh television series that's on netflix like it's a very well like a heavily speculated piece of media because those are two of the biggest deals of the time and then you add in like natalie woods is the beard in the situation right you know they're uh you know james dean who's uh long rumored to be a bisexual man like all of these characters are playing against each other there's an alternate universe where they are the power couple of all time where they are like the toxic power couple to end all toxic power couples Mm -hmm. in hollywood I doubt either of them would be happy, but if there's a there's an alternate universe where sexuality does not define them and does not limit them and they're out and there's a whole different thing going on, 
when they act like this towards each other hello hello but anyway um from there uh tab was in damn yankees the musical when they switched oh, yeah. it. he was the only person not from the broadway cast to be in the movie the director oh. didn't like that um he worked with bob fossey there was tension with that movie and jack warner once again is like tab is my money maker you take care of tab he starts uh this is also a time a little bit of change so people are looking to cast like james dean and martin brando in roles we're looking for leather jackets we're looking for a little bit of deviancy these days and tab is is an infectious smile blonde hair tight crop eisenhower all-american boy he does not not fit the same mold exactly not the bad boy and so he starts feeling typecast and he starts uh taking risks he starts playing murderers and villains and uh, a couple of uh, openly racist characters characters who have tension just under the surface and they're more complicated roles roles that give him more to do but they're not being made by warner brothers so he is being loaned out to other studios and when that happens there is a uh complicated fee system where the studio makes money by renting you out but you make the same exact amount of money that you would whether you were working in a different studio or not so now it's you know there's a half he makes a quarter million dollars being rented out but he makes the same salary so jack warner just gets a quarter million dollars by loaning him to somebody else and that's you feel complicated about that you feel and if you feel like you're not being offered the right roles because this is a studio system not only do they invest so much in you and control you in response they're supposed to give you stuff to do they're supposed to give you oscar movies if you're an oscar bait person they're supposed to put you in the right things and so when that's he felt like that stopped happening he made the tough call to buy himself out of his contract personally so not just terminate the contract but pay back the studio so he could be out of his contract this ended up being a tough call this ended up being a huge change so he was pretty much replaced immediately by someone else who fit his type uh within warner brothers and the movies he thought he might be able to pursue didn't end up being there. The studio system itself is starting to collapse at this time. And now he's he's no longer Tab Hunter. Okay. Extraordinaire. He's just another working actor. So uh, during this time, he starts being in whatever. He starts being in bad beach movies and weird B movies and whatever else. Uh, he, he sex a TV show that he called The Bottom of the Barrel. Uh but he continues working because he wants to be able to take care of his mother and pay off the debt to the studio that he got himself right. out of. So he also loses the protection of the studio system. So they are printing fucking whatever about him and no one is telling them to stop. So during this time, he uh, takes a lot of solace in going back to uh, horseback riding and racing and jumping. And he dates a man named Neil who is, uh, in the horse scene but not a hollywood person at all this is okay. his first real long-term relationship uh it lasts for about seven years so oh, well. that is a uh, uh that man spoke highly of him in the documentary neil whose last name i didn't write down but uh he's sort of he's not in hollywood like that anymore he doesn't have the same concerns and uh neil watches him go from the high of being very very loved and popular to still being popular but kind of hated he represents uh part of the 50s that the 60s is now rejecting he also starts taking so he starts he starts realizing this he starts taking some more roles that play on his old image and breaking them like like low budget like slasher comedies where he's a like a serial killer and it's like oh we're using your old image to do this um so he's still working it's not 
that great but it's not ideal it's but not it's- ideal but he's working he's making money and he is aware of his image which is going to be a theme for the rest of his working life also in the 60s his brother walter dies in vietnam yeah. uh he's very close to his brother this is a right. huge significant pain for him his brother had seven children and a wife who aren't there now widowed and fatherless very sad um and during this time he's very worried about his mother she doesn't take the death well and he's also not working as much so he sees more of her on a day-to-day basis which includes seeing more of her limitations as they come up and so he is so concerned with continuing to be sure that he can always take care of her that he begins doing dinner theater which at this period of time very stigmatized uh it's where old actors go to die it's not considered like being a honest working actor particularly not when you are a big deal in the 50s in the studio system uh it's also extremely grueling you are traveling all of the goddamn time six week contracts eight week contracts always on the road um and this leads him to have a heart attack now this heart attack is a reset for him in a way uh he tries to find a place for himself again with the catholic church after all this time he still feels a little bit like an outcast but he does this is a nice little wrap-up he makes a connection with the priest who is much more receptive than the priest who caused him to leave and he finds himself at peace with the church again and he finds that he he can take solace in his faith again well that's That's a a really nice right exactly and and he gets to have that for the rest of his life and and that piece and uh so here is where we get to divine yeah here she is folks so john waters who has been aware of tab this whole time tab is famous tab he john waters listens to his music has seen his movies knows what he looks like in the magazines and divine also for her whole life had a huge crush on him of course always so john waters gives him a script in which tab and divine are going to play lovers and yeah. the movie relies on tab being like the cultural image that he was um, oh, okay. as him being tab hunter the 50s movie star and also on divine being always playing like a, a cis woman but also they don't make a ton of effort to hide that this is a man in drag right. like divine the actress is not you know just the the drag nature of it the the gender flip nature just by that existence so uh tab uh decides to take this role john waters says that he prayed that tab would not watch pink flamingos before accepting the role and those of you who don't know um pink flamingos was john waters first big movie with the dreamlanders and it is most famous for being the movie in which divine ate dog shit yes and that is also her mm-hmm. the her look in that movie was what Ursula's look was based on. Yeah, there's a there's a hair even that hair is in many things. That hair is a classic hair, but that some of that eye makeup you'll see it if you look yeah. at it. Um, Pink, there's a lot going on in Pink Flamingos. Don't go into that blind, but it is a very important yeah. piece of the John Waters and the Dreamlanders. Um, John, but John. Tab agrees. He he thinks these movies are out there, but it could be fun. He likes it. Uh, John Waters says he could only afford to pay Tab for a week. Uh, he's sure that it is the least Tab ever got paid, and it was by far the most he ever paid anybody. Oh wow! To be in a movie, and Tab says, you know, it's a real DIY. He's like, oh, making a movie with John Waters is all about finding a piece of the floor to sit on in between takes. No trailers, no no things like that. You're getting cold pizza at two in the morning. He doesn't dislike this at all. 
Yeah. But it's different than what he's been in before. Uh, right. The movie is a big hit and it is a, a great movie. I forgot to write down the title of it, but it's a really good movie. You'll be able to find it. Um, it's a hit. It helps Tab Hunter come back into the public eye, but it helps him come in from a sideways angle. And it shows a lot of people that he has a sense of humor about himself. And that brings him back to they want him to be on talk shows again and uh, Hollywood Squares and whatever else. It's really great. And he also loves working with them. And he wants to make another movie with Divine. So he comes into the idea of making a Western comedy, but also a John Waters Western comedy. I just looked up the film. It's polyester. Polyester. Absolutely right. You should all uh, take a peek at that. Yeah. It, it is not as crazy. There's not as many wild antics as Pink Flamingos, but it is a satirized John Waters classic. Yes. Uh, so deciding. So after being in that movie and deciding that he wants to make uh, this movie with Divine the Western comedy, this is a very pivotal moment in Tab's life now that we're here in the 80s. It's, it's yet again a pivotal moment because he starts going to find funding. He's going to produce this movie himself or he's going to find the producers himself and get the funding. And that lands him in front of Alan Glazer, who's a 20th Century Fox executive. Alan says that Tab has star quality right away and he really does. He has it. He has the charisma. It never goes away. And Tab says that Alan got the vision right away from the movie and that Alan was bright and attractive and he calls him on the phone afterwards, uh, not necessarily to talk about business. Mm. Uh, Alan is 23, Tab is 53, uh, and they start having a personal relationship. This leads Alan to uh, leave his job at Fox and become an independent producer oh. uh, for this movie and other movies with Tab. He says... Um, and Alan says, although this is a big risk, he thought his future would be brighter with Tab, which is true because they remain married for 35 years. Aw, that's sweet. Yes, a really beautiful ending. Uh, but it's not just, so they work several independent movies together. Alan really likes this. He likes the challenge of getting things financed. But at this point, it becomes clear that Tab, Tab was always the actor, not the producer. He doesn't love the game of getting things produced in Hollywood. He really leaves it to Alan and, and, uh, just not not his favorite it starts to stop being his favorite thing uh around this time uh we're getting into the 90s now more and more celebrities are coming out this is uh we're getting into ellen rosie o'donnell nathan lane lance bass george michael are all on the covers of these magazines um tab is still not interested in being publicly out okay and he is not happy when people like larry king say direct things to him like what was it like being closeted uh, he doesn't like that, and he doesn't, he doesn't yeah. answer those questions. Uh, and his image uh, his image is still a ladies' man, even into his old age. And his, his image that he now is playing against so much as he pursues these John Waters movies and other types of similar projects, it is based on his image. So his not only is it, does he not really want to be public, he's a private person, his mother's a private person, even a heterosexual... Uh, person who had felt no shame would pro he would probably still never disclose a marriage never right. want to talk that much about it but even more so after he's had years of struggles with the sexuality and is only like 10 years into being comfortable with his church's stance and things like that he especially doesn't want to talk about it and this causes him to eventually just decide to withdraw from hollywood entirely he stops acting and he settles down uh, for the first time he buys a house with alan uh, which he's never done before and they had their dogs and he has this horse he still shows his horse out and people 
love to see that in 2005 like i said he releases his book confidential uh and becomes this really good documentary and he is at a point in his life he's older he's he's finished acting acting is his past now he's mm-hmm. and been a 35 year happy relationship he's at peace with the relationships in his life that ended so he can talk about them without uh you know as many active hurt feelings and things like that right. and it's really uh wonderful and so there are uh i will now tie up his life with three more anecdotes so the western comedy that they pursued together that led him to alan and that led him to continue to be famous with the divine uh, was called lust in the dust and it had a role that uh alan the producer who's just started his relationship with tab alan is interested in getting anthony perkins to play a role and alan says hey tab have you ever met tony perkins and tab is like oh no right so tab is like well yeah i have uh and tab uh goes and knocks on on tony's door tony's wife answers and he says uh i have this script i'd like you to read it tony reads it he says he likes it but psycho 2 had just come out he was in just a place in his career where he said i don't think this is the kind of movie i want to do at this time but thank you they say goodbye to each other and this is the last time that tab was able to talk to tony before tony perkins died of aids okay i mean at least at least they ended it on on a good they yeah they had a goodbye that was no longer tinged by a you know movies betrayal and roles and they're both had career resurgences at the same time and um there was no animosity or anger anymore not yeah not as much it seems um again i'm urging you all to watch this documentary because um tab has some more to say about um kind of like why he thinks anthony perkins might have been in a heterosexual marriage and had children and and there was some it seems like later in life uh tony perkins almost got less comfortable being gay and no so he went to some weird therapist there's more going on there but for themselves having had a really tumultuous but influential relationship they had a they saw each other much older when their lives were less intertwined and said goodbye before his passing yeah uh tab's mother remained an important part of his life for the rest of her life and the rest of his and uh tab shares uh, uh, stories of them um being able to spend time together and she's not a very affectionate woman but she would give him a kiss on the cheek and say i love you very much and i'm proud of you and uh they were in that good place with each other when she passed away and uh now tab has passed away he passed away three days before his 87th birthday in 2018 um alan is still uh lives in their home and they still have horses and dogs and he is left behind a whole a whole catalog of movies that will take you through hollywood over this over the different decades of the middle of the century uh his life shows you changing uh pursuits of it and uh we were now at a place where uh we can think about what kind of position he must have been in his whole life and hope that no one else ever feels this way that people can be private or public as they wish and their uh their relationships will not be as controlled by media and and we'll kind of move on from there and we'll always remember people like tab hunter and in a way anthony perkins and many other uh there were open gay actors who who had repercussions in their career even before this that we'll get to someday uh and meanwhile 
we'll also see more actual queer people on screen instead of just queer coded people and (laughs) that is our sort of conclusion of our media yeah so some good stories all around didn't know that I was gonna very heavily relate to Tab Hunter in a few ways (laughs) right 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 you gotta watch this documentary it's on prime I'm gonna yeah. yeah it's great I, I actually I a little bit thought of you as I was watching this at a couple points. Um, some of the church points. Uh, Jerry is yeah. a pastor's kid, if you didn't know. So, <laughs> not that there is the same story in any way. The relationship. Not at all. No. But love my dad. Love the church. Yeah. There's yeah. No but but there's an element of uh, church expectations that I was like, that's not going to be unfamiliar to Jerry. I'll say that. Yeah. There. I mean, of course, my dad wasn't a pastor like my whole life. He didn't start pursuing that until I was well into my teenage years mm-hmm. but yeah um he there's still even just going to church in general i always kind of felt oh we can't say this in front of the church people we can't yep. do this in front of the church people like, i i think there was one time i was over my parent and of mm-hmm. course this was years after i was already out and i was wearing my t-shirt that has a rainbow on it and it says mm-hmm. straight out of the closet and i was just over my parents house just wearing that t-shirt and one of the parishioners walked in and this was just after my dad had started being the pastor of the church that he's currently the pastor of. Yeah. And one of the parishioners was over and I went, uh, and I looked at him and I was like, well, if they didn't know before they do now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Similar. But I felt very awkward and now I don't care. They all know me and love me and you know, it's fine. But I still, there is still like that feeling of, eh, there are certain things we don't talk to. We don't yeah. talk about the little old church ladies. <laughs> and, and, it's a tale as old as time it seems yeah. <laughs> it's, you're not the first and I, but i do hope you're the last to be in this position so really interesting stuff and then i just the drama of the oh. anthony perkins relationship i had known previously and i've, I've seen this documentary before i'm a big tab hunter fan um but like i had forgotten that there was like such a targeted like role stealing and stuff which is like listen this is let's talk about equality for a minute listen if we love relationship drama in hollywood and if we need to put exes splitting up on magazines and stuff you need to start accepting gay people because you don't roll a man and a woman don't (laughs) roll steal from each other the way a man and a man or a woman and a woman or non-binary people who are going for the same roles yes like come on you need clicks you need to start getting good with all types of people because that is one of the dramas to end all dramas this is right up there with anyone who sleeps with their director we're called the alphabet mafia for a reason we will cut it there you go (laughs) we will cut a bitch uh yeah right (laughs) out of the role they didn't originate but role they they started off on they wanted yeah very high drama and good stuff so yeah so everyone should watch that documentary let me say it one last time it is called tab hunter confidential it is also a book. It is currently streaming on Amazon Prime. And you should also uh, consider watching some Tab Hunter uh, movies, especially John Waters ones, like we said, Polyester and Lust in the Dust, but also uh, the Beach Bee movies. And, and you'll see a lot of, uh, you'll see the role that he was expected to fit, which is reflected a role in society that uh, met expectations for men at a certain period of time. So, right. There you have it. So, so what uh, have we learned today? What did we learn today? Well, I I learned who Team Rocket was. <laughs> and also I learned that there's a whole arc of Disney villains. There's uh, themes that changed a little bit to a lot. 
over time. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I learned that you should never tell Anthony Perkins if you want to roll because he will cut you. That is, that's what I wrote down as the thing that I learned. Is that <laughs> okay, Perkins- well, what else did you learn today? And that Tap Hunter knocked Elvis down in number two. Right? Like, right? what? The Elvis. The Elvis. The Elvis Presley. Rude. So or weird. amazing. Who's to say? Also that. Also that. Also that. So. All right. All right. Well, I think that's Shall our I... episode for, for this month, for Pride Month. Yes. Shall I do the spiel? Let's uh, hear the spiel and then I'll tease what our next month's episode is going to be about. All right. So here's the spiel. You can find us on Facebook at Silly Stories About Real Life. You can find us at Twitter at Silly Stories underscore RL. And you can also find us at Instagram at, at uh, SSARL podcast. And you can also email us at Silly Stories About Real Life at gmail.com. And, and we definitely find- encourage you to check out all of those places. As I said, we're looking to make them bigger and better than ever. And we'd actually really love to hear any reflections you have from any of our episodes that we've posted. Yes, please tell us your feelings about Tab Hunter. And please tell us any queer characters that you, queer coded characters you felt a connection to or don't. Um, yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Any ideas on future topics? That'd be fun. Let us know. Let us know. And you can find me between episodes at face on Facebook at Jerry Mercurio and also on Instagram at Jerry Mercurio. You can follow me on Instagram at Mavist, which is M-A-E-V-E-I-S-T. I have not been posting, frankly, but I do appreciate any uh, engagement. And I'm hoping as I pursue some cool stuff over the summer to post more. So let me yes. know slide into our dms you can do all that please do i am so bored i will go wherever (laughs) you want on a date but (laughs) i won't be bored in july because uh our episode topic for july is lesser known serial killers dun 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 there are a lot of uh true crime podcasts out there jared and i listen to a lot of them out there Yes, so we we're do. going to try to not repeat anything you've ever heard. And uh, I'm going to tell a story that has a uh, actual very personal connection to Jarrett and I both. Yes. Uh, not to us personally uh, in that we no. lost anybody, but it, uh, situated in the area we grew up. We know a, people who know people who know this person. And we know some stories and we had uh, some personal relationships. I have a very funny story that I can share. Uh, so uh some of you might be able to guess uh i might have told the story to some people who are listening so if you can guess leave a comment uh on about mine and uh also jara is going to tell a i'm not very... sure i'm not sure actually what i'm gonna do there is we're talking about one I'm that is extremely few... spooky a very yeah. a very uh chill to your bones one that is not very well known so there's yeah. some chill to your bones serial killers that you probably know all of their exploits but this one maybe not so come back in high summer in mid-July to hear some uh, bone-chilling things. It'll be a good mix. Yeah. And until yeah. then, right. goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.